everyone searches for joy. And we have to learn a joy that is despite circumstances. Right? Sickness and death, a job or a relationship that is hard. We have to learn that there is joy. So in search of this joy, I came to this well-known verse you might know it well about God's rejoicing. Maybe I'll read this verse to you. It's from Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It says the following. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouting. There we go. I just wanted to look at that last part of that verse. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouting. So this is Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It's a beautiful verse about the joy of the Lord over people. And we'll get to the question, why does he rejoice? Over whom does he rejoice? Uh, we'll get to that later. But first, these two phrases that are highlighted. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with shouting. It's a parallelism, very frequent in poetry, where you find two similar statements, but the second one you add a little more. And so also this time, you have four words of joy here. Here you have only a few, uh, one less, I think. But in the Hebrew, you have four words of joy. And in the last one, it says, uh, here it says, joy with shouting. I don't know what your translations say. Maybe they say a cry of joy. Maybe it says he rejoices over you with singing. There are different translations. This is this word that is used for a cry of joy does actually not indicate the emotion. It indicates the way of expressing an emotion, which can be both for joy and it can be for grief. For example, there's this other verse in Psalm 106, verse 44. It says, when he saw that they were in distress, when he heard their cry, and it's exactly this word, so sometimes that word indicates this cry out of distress, and sometimes it is this cry out of joy, which is kind of funny for us. We don't have one cry that we use for both grief and for joy. But there are cultures that have that. Maybe you know it from Zimbabwe. Uh, I know many African cultures have this sound. In, we, we call it ululation. That's the English word for it which in certain cultures can express both joy as well as grief. So here we have not just a smile without noise. You have this loud expression of joy by God. So therefore it's also translated as shouting or singing. Now in between these two phrases, there is this other interesting sentence he will be quiet in his love and also again if you look at your translations it might say something different i see some of you have your bible open what do your translations say what does it say between those two phrases of joy he will quiet you with his love okay that's one translation other translations 
He will what? Sorry. He will quiet you by his love. I'll show you a few translations. Oh, here's that psalm. Anyway, here are a few translations that are from English Bible translations. He will soothe with his love. He will rest in his love. He will quiet you by his love. He will be quiet in his love. Or in more ancient translations, in the Aramaic rendering, they would say, he will subdue your sin with his love. Or in the Greek translation, he will renew you in his love. You see that we all have kind of a bit of a difficulty with this sentence. Because it's actually quite different if you say, he will soothe with his love, or he will rest in his love, or he will subdue your sin by his love. So I don't want to go into all the details how they got to these translations, but the verb that is used here is always used for being quiet or restraining, meaning not doing anything. Always, except one. There's one exception where it means to make someone quiet. That's why one of these translations had that. So it's always for being quiet or refraining from acting. Which, if you put that back within that expression of joy with loudness, it's very striking. What does it mean that he is quiet in his love? Many of the early Jewish interpretations would have said that God will be silent concerning the sins of the people. Despite sin, he doesn't torch the place. And and quietness as restraint, you see, for example, in this verse, in Isaiah 42. God says, for a long time I've held my peace. I have kept still, that's that word, and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. This is when the Israelites are in exile and God has said, I've, I've kept myself quiet. I've seen how my people has been abused, and I, I will act. But he has, he has kept himself quiet, kept himself restrained, restrained, but now he will act. So in order to see if that fits our, our context, we will have to read all of Zephaniah 3, verse 14 to 17, the verses that surround or precede the verse about joy. So let's read that. Zephaniah 3, verse 14 to 17. Shout with joy, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will restrain himself in his love. He will exult over you with shouting. There are a few repetitions in here in this text that help us understand uh, what is being said. 
First of all, it starts with a shout of joy, and it has exactly that same word as you find in the very end. So you start with a shout of joy of Zion, of Jerusalem. In the end, you end with God shouting with joy over his people. That's the bracket. Then you have uh, the king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Which, if you look a little further, it says, the Lord your God is in your midst. So it starts with joy, then you have in the midst is your God, then a little bit later, in the midst is the Lord, and then again, the shouts of joy, but this time from the people. And in the center, you have twice not fearing. You can see it. It says, on that day it shall be, uh, it says, the king of Israel is in your midst, you shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. So it ends up looking a little bit like this. Shouts of joy and verbs of rejoicing, which is Israel rejoicing. At the end, verbs of rejoicing and the shout of God. Then you have, after that rejoicing, you have your judgments and enemies are taken away. That's together with the shouts of, of rejoicing. It's the reason why Israel can shout and rejoice. Your judgments have been taken away and your enemies have been taken away. And the same you find here in the end, the verbs of rejoicing and the shout of God. And then you have that statement, he will be quiet. Right? And then in the midst is your king, in the midst is a warrior who brings victory, and then the no fear in the center. Now when you look at it like this, then you can see that to be quiet in his love, the, the parallel is your judgments have been taken away, your judgments and enemies have been taken away. He is quiet in his love, judgment taken away. He does not remind us Reminds me of this verse from Micah. Who is a God like you, forgiving misdeeds and passing over the sins of the remnant of his people, who does not retain his anger forever because he loves graciousness. He will again have compassion upon us. He will subdue our misdeeds. He will throw all our sins into the depth of the sea. Subdue our wrongdoing. And this is what we read in Zephaniah. God restrains himself out of love. He keeps quiet. And instead, he rejoices. Now, if we say that he's restraining himself, then who is the one that's sinning? Who's the one who's going against what God is saying? Well, we didn't read the whole book, but I'll give you a few verses from the rest of Zephaniah, the majority of Zephaniah. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 17. I will bring such distress upon people that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Or in 3, verse 1. A soiled, defiled, oppressing city. And it's talking about Jerusalem. It has listened to no voice. It has accepted no correction. It has not trusted in the Lord. It has not drawn near to its God. Two more verses. Zephaniah 3, verse 7 and 8. I said, surely the city will fear me. It will accept correction. 
It will not lose sight of all that I have brought upon it. But they were the more eager to make all their deeds corrupt. And then it continues on to describe the rebellion of the prideful who will, re who will be removed. Uh, you can see that in this verse, the last verse, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. In that day you will no longer be ashamed for all the deeds by which you have defied me. For then I will remove the proud and exultant within you. And you will be haughty no more on my sacred mountain. But I will leave within you a poor, humble folk. And they shall find refuge in the name of the Lord. It's those who accept correction. Remember in the earlier verses, it has accepted no correction in 3 verse 1. Or here, I thought they will fear me. They've accepted no correction. It's the humble. They, will, they are the ones that God rejoices over. Is that a perfect community? No, that's why he restrains himself. That's why he is quiet in his love. Not only that, he will also rejoice. He rejoices when people make the right decision. This is true then about Israel, and it's true now for us. He's the same God. It reminds me of that parable of Jesus of the hundred sheep. One got lost. And the shepherd goes after it, the one that's lost, puts it on his shoulders, and then the joy that he expresses because he found it. And Jesus said, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I always felt like I was already in the in-group, the 99 not the one that God rejoices over, but you would like to be that one that God rejoices over you. As if repentance is just that one-time thing that you do. Instead, when we choose to follow God in specific daily circumstances, when we turn from our ways to His ways, that's repentance and He rejoices over us. Repentance is an act like choosing to help someone out instead of selfishness. Forgiving instead of reminding someone of his mistakes. Learning to do what God does and act like he does. It's imitation of him. It's just a very important concept in the Bible and especially it's starting in the book of Leviticus. Be holy as I am holy. When we learn to imitate him and grow to be more like him, we will see that his joy is our joy. Remember that parallelism that we saw. Israel rejoicing because their judgment's taken away. And then God rejoicing. In John 15 verse 10 it said, I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So we're not just obeying rules, but to acting because we know that God, God's joy over us, that he's rejoicing over us. Not when we're perfect, but when we choose to follow him, choose to identify with him. Did you know that when you want to explode in anger, 
but instead give it to God, he rejoices over you. Do you know that when you want to look lustfully to another woman, but instead look the other way, trusting God, he rejoices over you? That when you decide to give instead of holding back, he rejoices over you? That when you decide to ask forgiveness from your spouse instead of being quiet, he rejoices over you? That when you forgive instead of remind, he rejoices over you. That when you pray instead of soak in self-pity, he rejoices over you. Not like a father. Yes, you were supposed not to hate your brother. Why would I rejoice over that? And yet, this is our God. When he, he, he sees that we turn to his ways, he rejoices I have to learn, relearn this type of joy that is despite circumstances from Zephaniah. First of all, if we look again at that passage of Zephaniah, we see he is in our midst. That's a source of joy. His, victor his victorious presence, his power to change, and his, expand his expanding kingdom. Remember, it said... Uh, the king of Israel, right there. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He is in our midst. And when his kingdom, when his rule expands in our lives, that causes us joy, it causes God joy. Then joy also because of his forgiveness. The creator is quiet over our mistakes. And that leads to great rejoicing. It leads to his great rejoicing. It leads to our great rejoicing. And then finally, God's joy that leads to our joy when we choose his way in daily circumstances, when we repent. So let's pray. Lord our God, King of the universe. May your kingdom expand in our lives as we repent daily and follow you. Impress your joy upon us. Lord, teach us what that is, that you rejoice over us when we repent, when we turn daily to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.